We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets. Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No. I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Coach's Box. I'm Anthony Amico. You can find me on Twitter at Amixta. And today on episode two, we're going to discuss extra point tries with an emphasis on two-point conversions. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that you can get a special 30% discount to a Rotoviz subscription by signing up through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Last show, we talked about fourth down tries and some numbers behind it. We're going to take a similar approach today with respect to two-point attempts, and once again, there's some great literature out there for us to build off of and for you to check out if you're interested in this topic. First, some numbers. You may recall our discussion about expected value, or EV, on the last show. EV is a lot easier to calculate on point-after tries because once a team chooses whether to go for one or for two, the result is binary. In other words, the try is either successful or it is not. So our calculation is pretty simple. It's just success rate times possible point value, whether it be one point or two. With that in mind, I took a look at success rates for both extra points and two-point tries. Uh, Teams have made 94.1% of extra point field goal attempts since the rule change to back them up took place before the 2015 season. I looked at the last 10 years of two-point attempts to get a bigger sample, and teams converted 47.9% of them in that time frame. That means that going for two in a vacuum 
has a slightly higher expected value, uh, 0.9586 points versus 0.9408. Obviously, that's really, really close in general, but I thought it was really interesting that those two point tries actually are worth more. Now, it is important to mention that we're talking in a vacuum because game situation is going to play a really critical role in deciding when to go for two. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but the lower success rate in going for two does add variance to the outcome, even if the expected result is similar to kicking an extra point. So in really the most obvious example possible, it wouldn't really make much sense to go for two after tying the game late in the game, since you obviously want to lock in that lead. You want to go for the higher percentage chance for points at all, and that would be through the extra point. Now, despite the similarities in EV, coaches have only gone for two 7.2% of the time in the last three years. This is with you know, the math, I feel like, basically begging coaches to go for it. Um, they average just 0.18 two-point attempts per game, and our regular season leader in two-point conversion attempts for 2017 was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with six. So needless to say, coaches are not maximizing their chances to go for two. In particular, coaches have shown a real aversion to going for two early on in games. If we broke this down by quarter, we'd see that in the first quarter, coaches are going for two just 1.1% of the time. In the second quarter, they're going for it 2.1% of the time. In the third quarter, they're attempting a two-point conversion on 7% of scores. And in the fourth quarter, that number jumps up to 16.7%. 67.5% of all two-point conversions in the last three seasons have occurred in the fourth quarter. So it's pretty obvious that teams are really only going for it when they quote-unquote have to. And that's a really great segue into my favorite piece on going for two. It's by Benjamin Morris over at 538 titled, When to Go for Two, For Real. The piece talks about when you should go for two based on the score and the time left in the game using win probability. And it's a really great article. Uh, it identifies two situations that are really common mistakes for NFL head coaches, and that's in situations where they're down eight points or four points after scoring with 10 minutes left. These are both situations where teams should be going for two, but instead coaches have been opting to just kick the extra point. Now, if we look at the win probability, the difference between being down seven and being down six is actually greater than the difference between being down seven and being down eight. Likewise, being down two instead of three helps you more than being down four instead of three hurts you. So I think that both of these decisions may seem overly aggressive, but they're actual optimal moves that put you in the best position to win. So in the case of being down eight points, you know if you get the two, that sets you up so that if you score again later, you can actually have a really high percentage chance of winning the game. Whereas if you miss, it just means that you have to go for two on your next score. In the case of being down four points, if you get the two, that means that a field goal is going to give you the lead. And if you don't get it, well, now you know that you just have to go and try to score a touchdown on your next drive. So I think that the really important takeaway here is that no matter what the outcome is, you can always just recalibrate your goals as a team for the next drive. And this is a really big part of why I think that you should be aggressive on two-point attempts, particularly early in football games. You can always adjust as the game goes along, as opposed to waiting until the end when 
that last two-point conversion that you go for with maybe a minute or two left in the game determines whether or not your team wins or loses. I think that this really goes against that common convention that you shouldn't be going for it until you quote-unquote have to. So in this piece, there's a really awesome diagram that you need to check out. It breaks down visually when you should go for two or kick based on point margin after the score, time left in the game, and your team success rate. It's worth noting that any time in a game that you cut the lead to five or two, you're advised to go for two points, especially in the second half. Again, this goes against that commonly held notion that you should avoid going for two until you absolutely must. I think that we see pretty much every week across the NFL, teams aren't trying to keep games to a field goal. They're not trying to, to tie games until it's the very end of the football game. But if you know you score to go down two with three minutes left in the second quarter, you should try to tie the game. There's really no advantage to being down one. And if you continue to be down two points, you can just take the lead with a field goal later. Similarly, anytime you score to go up one or five in the game, you're incentivized to try to make that a field goal or touchdown plus extra point lead. The article also points out that there's one situation that coaches have sometimes gone for two when they really shouldn't, and that's when they're down one after a score very late in the game. So, you know, picture the scenario where you score with 30 seconds left and you go down one, and now we can, you know, we can kick the extra point and tie it, or we can go for two and try to win the football game. So I think that in terms of like our instincts, we're sometimes tempted to just go for the win in these situations. But the math suggests that unless you have a really good two-point team, you really shouldn't try to go for the win. And that if there's a little bit more time left in the game, you know, more than 30 seconds, maybe let's say maybe a minute or two left in the game, uh, you know, you score even if you get it and now you take the lead, now instead of your opponent being conservative, they're going to start being aggressive and taking chances that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise. So that kind of approach by the opposing team actually leads to them scoring more points in those situations than they otherwise would. So you're you're better off just trying to go to overtime. So a lot of really good mathematical points, I think, when it comes to this. And, you know, this stuff really makes me excited, uh, you know, for when teams like the Eagles go for two, up 12 points in the biggest game of the year. You know, we saw them do that in the Super Bowl. That was a plus EV decision, but it was deemed point chasing by many. And I just think that like the vernacular there is kind of odd to begin with, right? Like we call it point chasing. So, you know, we're basically mocking teams for going after the one thing that actually determines whether or not they win or lose a football game. That never really made much sense to me. Now, with all that said, you know, coaches can definitely still do so much more on these point after tries. Like I said, Tampa Bay led the league with six. You know, Philly attempted a few of them in the playoffs. They obviously did it in the Super Bowl. All that stuff is really impressive. But I think that we would like to see these two-point conversion attempts start to get higher, you know, start to push it a little bit closer to a 50-50 proposition than what it is right now. And I think that in particular, if teams made it a point of emphasis and practice it frequently... Uh, they would have more success. So, you know, the success rate right now, I think, is actually pretty good. And certainly it has led to a situation where a two-point conversion attempt has more expected value than an extra point. Obviously, it's only by a slight margin. But I think that teams could bring that even higher if they were practicing it in class. Uh, in class. I think that teams could bring that even higher if they were practicing it, you know, during the week and in the off season. And I- I've heard the argument 
that teams are practicing this when they do a red zone period, but I just don't think that that's good enough. I mean, during a red zone period, you can be running plays anywhere from the 20 all the way up to the one. You know, for some coaches, they kind of consider the red zone to start at the 25. So you could even be starting from further out. And you're going to be running plays in all different kinds of down and distance situations. So I, I just think that figuring out your best plays from specifically the two-yard line and needing to find the end zone is a really special scenario. It's very unique, and it requires its own time and practice. You know, I, I just don't think that we can say if we run, you know, a 40-play script in a red zone period, we might run one play or two plays that you know, would be effective for us in a two-point situation. It's just a really unique spot. I, I don't even think that, you know, the, the difference in space running a play from the five and running a play from the two, when you're that close, to me, at least as a coach, is pretty extreme. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lump all those plays together. And I just think it's really important that you get enough reps to have a true idea of what the best plays for you as a team are, you know, in those scenarios in a vacuum. So, you know, in general, what plays do we execute the best at the two-yard line trying to score? Uh, but also, we want to be able to base some of these play calls on the opponent. So, you know, depending on the kind of defenses that we expect to see on a two-point try, you know, what are some plays that we also think would be effective? So, I just think that if we spent a little bit more time doing that, we would increase success rate. Maybe it wouldn't be by a huge amount. Maybe we only get from you know, roughly 48% to like 50% or, you know, something like that. But, you know, anything that we can do to make ourselves better in those situations is going to add up to wins over time. So I know that there was a lot to unpack on these two-point conversions, but I hope that you were really able to learn something today. That's going to do it for episode two of The Coach's Box. We've covered now, for me, you know, the two biggest topics that I wanted to discuss on this show, fourth down and two-point conversions. So, there's a lot of different ways that I think we could go going forward. Keep sending me those topics you'd like to learn more about. I've gotten a lot of great submissions already. You know, and we certainly will get into some more uh, nuanced football topics as this show goes on. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you were coming here not expecting this to be math heavy, you know, I apologize. That's still kind of my MO, you know, even as a coach. You know, we'll definitely touch on, you know, some more nuanced football topics going forward. So as always, this is Anthony Miko on Twitter at Amixta. Thanks for listening. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. They call you the Grillmaster. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. 
And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.